The next chapter with Prim's Ripapad is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody, it's Prim. Welcome to the next chapter presented by Baron Davis and Slick Studios. This week's guest is former UNC All-American and professional tennis player Nick Monroe. In college at UNC Chapel Hill, Nick was a rock star, to say the least. During his time there from 2000 to 04, he played number one for the Heels, earned All-American honors, All-ACC status, was named UNC's Senior Male Student Athlete of the Year, and finished his collegiate career second on the Heels' all-time singles wins list. After graduating, Nick decided to give the ATP Tour a shot and amazingly had a long and successful career as a professional doubles player. He made it to all the Grand Slams, and even though he never won a major, he reached as high as 30 in the world. And then after nearly two decades of playing professional tennis, Nick announced his retirement at this year's U.S. Open at the age of 40. Now, I've actually known Nick for a very long time, since maybe we were, I don't know, eight or 10 years old. And that's because Nick is from Oklahoma, and I was also born in Missouri, which meant that we both grew up playing and competing in the same junior tournaments in the Missouri Valley section. So basically from 10, I don't know, all the way up to 18 years old, we saw each other every single year at just about every single tournament. And we were also both the number one players in the Missouri Valley section at various times. So we really connected on so many different levels. And then later, we saw each other in college because he went to UNC and I went to Duke. So obviously, Nick and I have run into each other a lot of times over the years and have stayed in touch. So to see one of my old friends retire from tennis is significant for me, and it makes me emotional. So heading into this interview, what I really wanted to know was just how Nick has been processing his retirement. And also, if he's given himself the time to reflect and process this transition, because as we've all heard on this show, the transition from sport does not happen quickly. It takes time. It takes time to move. It takes time to navigate. It takes time to adjust. And as you'll hear in this interview, that was my hope of just giving Nick the gift of having a safe space and some time with someone who understands what it's like to leave sport to really process this critical period as he leaves behind his identity as a professional tennis player and enters this whole new chapter in his life as now an ex-pro athlete. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Without further ado, Here's Nick Monroe. Nick, just rolled out of bed. Thank you for... (laughs) taking an extensive period of preparation for this interview. I can see where uh, maybe the show or where I line up in your life. (laughs) (laughs) No, thanks for having me. It's uh, obviously I'm in LA right now. So 
yeah, the 7.30 a.m. wake-up call was, you know, for a retired man, it's like, well, that's a little <laughs> little early. But uh, but no, of course, uh, you know, obviously, Prem, we've known each other since we were like eight. So <laughs> I'm about to be here with you. <laughs> yeah, that was going to be literally one of my first questions for you. And it seems like retired life is going really well. Because I I know you like, you know, I mean, you're 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 such a hard worker. So I would imagine 7.30 is actually not early for you, but yes, yeah. for a retired man, <laughs> 7.30 may seem early. So it sounds like retired life is going decently well. Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, obviously, <laughs> um, you know, obviously it's, it's been a weird feeling like not getting up for practice every morning, like at 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. So that's been a different feeling. Um, I still get on the court and, and obviously and hitting balls, um, you know, yesterday was hitting with the guy that just starting on the tour. So, you know, looking to get back in, in those ways and, and still get on the court, you know, every now and then right now, and, and we'll be more frequently here in probably the next month and a half or so. But, um, but yeah, just kind of, in, just kind of enjoying it, but also still working with on a lot of things, commentating and and my tournament coming up. And so, yeah, it's, it's still busy. So you have a lot on your plate and I was, it's funny because I, I, you and I were texting back and forth. We've been trying to connect, um, for this show and for other various reasons, but I had Rohan Bopana on yeah. and, uh, he's obviously still on the tour. He's a little bit older than us. He's 42 years old. So he's been, he, he's certainly a veteran and our conversation, because he's still playing our conversation centered around, for me, I was asking him the question, like, does it make it easier to see some of your peers, Serena Williams, Roger Federer this year, your name came up because you two have known each other for a very long time. Does it make it easier to walk away from the game? So I'll pose the same question for you. Does it in any way make it easier to see some of your peers, especially with people like Serena Williams and Roger Federer walking away uh, around the same time? Um, no, I mean, it didn't really make an impact, you know, I mean, obviously it made an impact, like obviously two goats of, of tennis, you know, but this was more a decision, obviously for me, um, you know, I always told myself when I retire, I didn't want to leave any stone unturned. Like I wanted to give everything I have, have no regrets. And, uh, and then I felt like, you know, cause there's been other things the last two or three years that have come up, people wanted me to coach them, whatever it might be. And I was just not in that, you know, ready for that. Um, and then, you know, got to the point where I said, okay, look, rankings dropping a little bit, um, you know, but also um, I felt like I'd done, you know, everything I'd wanted to do in the sport as far as all the travel and playing all the grand slams and all that stuff and, and was ready for, for new, new chapters. So obviously to see Serena and Roger kind of, uh, out of nowhere, kind of doing the same thing was, was, uh, was surprising and, and, and feels kind of cool that we all kind of did at the same time, <laughs> the U S open <laughs> or right after for Roger. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, this was more, you know, for me and, and feeling like, um, I was ready for, ready for the next chapter. So how, what was the decision process like for you in, in trying um, to reconcile like, okay, it's going to be this time because you, you made the announcement, um, at the U S open. So how did you get to that point? Um, I think it was also for me, you know, I, been dealing with some injuries and in my elbow and things like that. And so my ranking had dropped to about 150. And, you know, <laughs> and tennis, as you know, you got to play some of the challengers at that level to get back to the top 100. And, you know, I know I have the game and still have the the love for it to get back there. But it was like, okay, 
do you want to grind another five, six months to get back kind of in that, in that top hundred range and get back. But, um, you know, and I willing to do that, but by the same token, I said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying the commentating. I'm ready to start coaching another player on tour. I'm ready to give a lot of, um, effort and everything that I'm doing for my tournament coming up. So there's a lot of things that I was trying to do all at once. And so I was like, okay, let's kind of like, you know, just put a package, a few other things together and uh, focus mm -hmm. on them. So in some ways it made it maybe a little bit easier because you had a few other things going on. So yeah. had those other options not emerge, including right. some of your analyst work with tennis channel, the coaching, the player, and also your, yeah. your tournament coming up. It, had you not had those, would it, would it have been I think, harder yeah, to walk no, away? 100%. I, I, if there weren't other things to focus on, I think, you know, then it would have been much more difficult. Right. And then mm -hmm. probably would still be pushing and, and trying to keep going for it if I didn't have other avenues that, that I'm interested in. Um, and mm -hmm. so I think that's, that's helped a lot to be able to, you know, hours throughout the day, uh, work on these other things. Um, so yeah, I think it's definitely tougher if you're kind of waking up and then you're like, Oh, what am I going to do today? Right. And, and so mm -hmm. that makes it tougher. Cause then it's like, well, maybe I should just get back on the court and, and, and get after it again, which, which, uh, which yeah, luckily right now, you know, I have, I have other avenues that I'm pursuing. So it's nice. So what was your last match like? Uh, when <laughs> do you ask that? Well, my, so us open being my last tournament, uh, my first round I was playing with Keegan Smith. Uh, and we played Martin Fuksevich and his partner and, and my first serve, like it was one of those things where leading into it and practice and things like that, like I was completely fine. And like everything was, was, I didn't even really think about it and practice leading up to the match. And then all of a sudden we get on the court for that first round and you know, they served first, Keegan served, and then it got round to me. I was the fourth guy to serve and I double faulted the first three time, first three points. And I've never done that in my entire career. I double faulted to love 40 because I had so many nerves and, and I started actually thinking about it. I was like, Oh man, like this, this is like, could be my last match type thing. And so the nerves crept in. And again, like I know how to make a second serve, even if I just have to go 30 miles an hour kicker but the nerves had crept in. My toss was so low. My motion was fast. And so anyways, I, I, and we got broken. Like I, I lost the game. We won the next two points, got broken at 30, 40, but, um, yeah, it, things really kind of came to fruition for me. And I started thinking a lot, we ended up winning that first round. Uh, but then we, in the second round, um, we lost there and, and then it was like, okay. Um, you know, I was also kind of okay at the time. And then once I started walking off the court, I was like, mm -hmm. okay, then it hit me, you know, once I started walking off and amongst the crowd, and then I went into Arthur Ashe where our kind of players lounges and I went and kind of found this little corner and just had to have a moment to myself. Like, you know, wow, this is, this is it, you know? And, and so, uh, you know, people were texting me, where are you? Let's meet. And, you know, and I just didn't even, uh, I was like, no, 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 I, you know, I needed at least, I took a, an hour to myself kind of in this corner in Arthur Ashe, just like a little nook and, yeah. uh, you know, and, and, and everything just started kind of coming out and thinking about, you know, when we were playing 12 and under yeah. 14 under 16 under just remembering all those junior tournaments, the, the college tennis, the grind to get to where I got. And, um, um, you know, so it was tough, but then, then appreciative as well. And I was like, man, you, you, you did it, you know, you got where you wanted to go. And, and, uh, you know, so it, it took me an hour to kind of 
get my feelings back together and then go out and meet the people who came to watch me and support me. Oh my gosh. What a, uh, such a powerful moment. I mean, even you just touching on it made me emotional because even when you're talking about it, I started having flashbacks of us as little kids. I mean, we truly have known each other. I have, I don't even know like eight, nine, 10 years old, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but it's so funny because it's like, I've never encountered this, but, um, bear with me here as I make the, the analogy and metaphor to, uh, to death. But you oftentimes, when you hear somebody who is confronted with a moment of death, they kind of explain it as a way of like, they have, they have like a flashback of their entire life experiences. And I have made and other people and other researchers and experts within this field have talked about, you know, leaving sport as a way of, uh, it's an experience of, in some ways, a death, at least the death of an identity. And so when you're talking about that, like hour, that's kind of, it sounds like that's kind of what happened. You were, you all of a sudden you were just like flooded with all these memories and experiences and emotions of all the things that you've experienced. Yeah. It was crazy. You know, I was thinking about, you know, we grew up in the Missouri Valley. So I was thinking about the tournaments we played in St. Louis and, and, you know, um, just all the like junior tournaments. And I started thinking about matches from when I was 12 years old, 14 years old, like things that I had, hadn't thought about obviously in forever or ever before, and just remembering all those moments. And then, uh, you know, but then, then after 45 minutes of thinking about all that, just started really being appreciative of everything tennis had given me and the ability that I got to that spot by working as hard as I did and and whatnot. And then, uh, you know, and then I was able to, to, to relax a little bit after that hour, you know, went and took a shower, went and saw the people who came to support me and then put a smile on my face. And, and it, it was, uh, and then it, you know, and it was fine, but yeah, that, that, that one hour was, was interesting. It, it was, uh, you know, and then it was funny because then people were like, okay, well, you know, they know that I'd like to work hard in the gym and stuff. And they were like, well, don't, you know, you, you're still going to do that. Right. Like, cause that's, how, that's your identity, you know, like working hard mm-hmm. and, and pushing. And I was like, yeah, man, of course, this is, this is, this is me, you know? So, so I still do that. I mean, I'm still working hard in the gym still, you know, you still want to be fit and, and be that kind of, you know, I always look at athletes and when they stop playing a sport, sometimes they just completely like let go and don't work and don't go to the gym and whatever. And I'm just like, wow, man, you know, but I feel like that also helps if you stick to your training in a way, like even though you're not training for tennis, but stick to your training and, and your diet and to being healthy. And then that helps you make good decisions with other parts of your life as well, as opposed to just kind of going through things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Just, uh, yeah. At least maintaining some yeah. semblance of that identity, that routine. And routines. Yeah. Routines are everything. Yeah. Yeah. So that first round doubles match when you double faulted three times what emotions came into play and i think this is really important i like want to give you the space to talk about it because as tennis players and as athletes there's really not a lot of room for emotions right like those are moments in order to perform well we have to compartmentalize and really push it to the side so what was it during that first game that came up for you well i yeah, you know what? I I knew that a lot of people were there to watch me because it could be my last match, you know? And mm-hmm. so I started thinking about what was going on on the outside. I started thinking about what people were thinking, you know, and, and they were thinking about how I was thinking. And I started just having so many other thoughts about 
what other people were thinking as opposed to normally you go into a match, you know, okay, I'm going to serve here. I'm going to volley here. I'm going to, you know, you have your, your plays and your patterns, but I completely lost all of those and was thinking about what other people were thinking. And then at one point, like, oh man, this could be it. And, and so I wasn't focused on, on the X's and O's, which is, which is what you, you know, you need to be focused on as a tennis player and how you're going to win that point and how you're going to get your partner in the right position and all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, th- those were, those were the emotions. It was just kind of like, I saw my college coach there and Sam Paul and, and Trip Phillips from North Carolina. And, you know, just, just was like thinking about what, what was on their mind, you know, mm. uh, you know, so basically, yeah, I mean, that, that, that was it for me, you know, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was, um, <laughs> I read all those three times and then I missed the, the first serve on the next point. I was like, Oh shit, you can't double fault four <laughs> times in a row. I was like, no way this is happening. My second serve was like 20 miles an hour in the box. I'm like, nice and slow. I think the guy almost whipped the return. It was so slow. And they were like, Oh my God, like what? You know? And I don't even know. I don't even know, like, you know, playing two singles guys, Fuksevich, and and now I can't remember the guy's name, but I don't even know if they knew that I, I was retiring, like, after the US <laughs> Open, but they were probably like, what? I mean, what is going on? Like, they knew, they knew that was very abnormal for me. Let's put it that way. So... <laughs> It's just comical. Like it just goes to show you like just the aspect of the mental part of, especially at the elite levels. It's like, yeah, yeah, like, yo, you've been playing for so long, but it's like, it has nothing to do with like muscle memory. It's all in the mind. Okay. So let's, so let's break it down a little bit further. So you actually didn't mention any sort of emotion or feelings. You didn't say you were sad or angry or mad or upset or nostalgic or whatever, cheerful. But it was the thought, the cognition, yeah. right, of like what other people were thinking. So when you were thinking about what other people were thinking, which, by the way, is totally normal yeah. in and out of sports, were you concerned about like, what they thought about your career? Did you think about their expectations um, for you that day or? What? Yeah, I think it was more expectations and, and, uh, you know, cause also again, um, without sounding in a different way, but it like, we were kind of supposed to win that match, which we did, but mm-hmm. it was also like, okay, well, you know, we, we got to win this match, but also like, I know this could be it. And what is everyone else? I don't know. What is everyone else thinking? So just, yeah, the, that mental aspect of, of, um, and, and it wasn't sad. It wasn't whatever. Cause you're, you're still in the moment of like, you are on the court. You, I mean, we got to play, you know? And, and so the sad never kicked in until after, you know, we officially lost that second round. And then when I went to that little corner in Arthur Ashe stadium, but when you're, when you're on the court, I mean, you don't have time to, to be yeah. sad or, you know, and that's why even leading up to it, I never even really thought about it like people were coming up and guys knew like hey man this is your last tournament like congrats da, da, da. and i never at one point was like sad about it i was like yeah but i got work to do you know and i would get on the right. practice i go to the gym and i i was still sick to all my routines so the sad part of it never came up until after we lost and then going to the thing but but it was more um the mental side of like you know uh yeah, just kind of what people were thinking and how, and, you know, how should I, how was I reacting? And, uh, you know, I was just literally rushing. Like, I mean, I think I lost yeah. those first three points in like 45 seconds. It was like, boom, boom, uh, I need balls, boom, boom. You know, like there was no, 
there was no like taking time and whatever. And even at Love 40, Keegan comes back and he's like, he was calling me the OG and, and he was the YG, you know? So he's like, OG, YG's got you, man. YG's got you. <laughs> not, it, it, people probably don't know Keegan Smith, but he's one of the funniest guys you will ever meet in your life. And so he kind of like made me laugh. And I was like, okay, man, okay, okay, we got this. You know? Then we still lost the game, but then we played like, you know, unreal after that. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, it was just getting into that moment of like, look, we're, we're a team, we stick together and we'll figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's so great. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny because like, it makes sense why that sadness didn't really like emerge until, until the match was over. Because when, when we are busy and when we're focused on a task or a job or performance, there's really no time for emotions because you're yeah. so encapsulated by what needs to get done to execute this task. But when we sit still and things get quiet and motion stops, like, I think that's why it's really hard for people to sit still because that's when our thoughts and emotions really start to come to the surface because everything slows down and we're finally by ourselves or not, we're not with other people. So it just kind of makes sense. Like why you had that moment um, once the match was over. Yeah, no, for sure. And, 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 uh, you know, as you said, like, I mean, I was still leading up to it, you know, I was going to practice 7am every morning and like, you know, really sticking in my normal US open routines. Like I like to get in practice before everyone else, because it becomes a zoo starting at like 9am. So normally I practice from seven to nine in the morning and just get it done. Right. And so, and everyone's like, man, like you're out here early, but they knew I'm up. That's how I always work. But they're like, man, it's your, last tournament, like, you know, maybe, you know, you don't need to come in. And I'm like, no, this is what I do. This is how I work. This is whatever. So, um, yeah. So, you know, the motion just kind of kept going, as you said, I mean, in the morning, you know, and then getting massaged and I would be commentating in the afternoon. So I had so many things I was doing yeah. at the U S open from playing and commentating or whatever, that there was no time to, to think about it really, you know? So, so have you given yourself time to think about it since your last match or would this probably be the first time since that moment that you've really like talked and gone in depth through all just kind probably of playing all this yeah probably one of the first times since that moment um because again like even after we lost that that uh second round i mean i went and commentated like two hours later i went and commentated the match you know and then the next day i even hit some balls in the morning with someone then went and commentated you know so i was just busy, busy, busy. And then, um, you know, and, and, you know, and again, when I talk about not wanting to have any regrets, I mean, I really feel like I've left, I left it all out there. You know, I mean, I always told myself every time I'd walk on the court, I'd want to feel like I've outworked the guy who's on the opposite side of the net or the two guys in double. So that's one thing that I always kind of made sure with my career that I would work as hard as I can every single day to the point of exhaustion. You know, Kobe talks about that, but that's really how I like to feel at the end of the day. Like I'll run that extra sprint. I'll hit those extra serves. I'll do all those extra things. Like, because I truly feel that. And, you know, I wasn't the most talented guy at all. Like there's so many talented players out there. I was, I was more the guy who's just going to need all the reps, work as hard as I can to kind of stay where I needed to be. And so, so yeah. So at the end of it, it was more like, okay, you know, I sad and, and all those things came in. But then I also thought, man, like you know, you did everything you could to, to be where you were and, and you have, and I have no, no, 
um, no regrets, you know, like no mm-hmm. regrets with everything I could. And, and now, now it's more about giving back to the game and, and happy to, to go that route as well. Yeah. And that's, that's awesome to hear. You know, I don't, it's awesome to hear that you don't have a lot of regrets and that is a peaceful feeling. Yeah. And yet at the same time, even when somebody does something or they walk away from something and there's no regrets, it can still be hard. Like it's yeah. okay for it to be hard, yeah. right? Even if yeah. there aren't any regrets because it's the ending of a really big chapter for you. Yeah. Yeah. And it was funny because I mean, over the last four or five years of my career, I was asking a lot of former players. I was like, Hey man, like what's your biggest regret from when you played? And they say, man, one thing I would say 99% of the players said, and play as long as you can. They were like, you get to hit a yellow ball over a net for a living. You know, d- different guys stop for marriage. They stop for a s- small injury that they could have come back from or whatever it might be. And they were like, man, we, I just wish I would have played longer. You get to travel the world, meet new people. So 99% of the, of the people said that about the former players. And so then I was like, okay, you know, obviously I knew I wanted to do that anyway. I wanted to play as long as I could, as long as I felt comfortable, as long as I, you know, um, and also was at the level that I want to be at. And then, um, you know, so, so I knew that, but anyway, so, you know, that's why I played as long as I did. And then, yeah, as you said, just ready for the next chapter. I have, I haven't had any athlete that really has talked about that. So I'm actually really interested to hear at the end, maybe who some of those players, maybe maybe that will come in with the last question. Cause <laughs> I'm going to ask you like a good, somebody that you think would make for a good guess on the show. If you don't mind, uh, I'm going to read your social media post. Okay. Um, when you announce your retirement, are you okay with that? Sure. <clears throat> okay. So, uh, on your social media post, you mentioned, uh, this was your kind of your goodbye farewell. Hi everyone. This year's U S open will be my 11th and I can't think of a better place to finish my professional career. I want to thank the USTA for the opportunity to have one last bit of fire in NYC. These last 18 years on tour have been some of the best times of my life. I'd like to thank everyone that has played with me, supported me and been a part of my tennis journey to be able to travel the world, hitting a yellow ball over a net for a living truly has been a dream come true. I've always told myself, I never wanted any regrets when I stopped. So we won't call it retirement. We'll call it evolution. I can't wait to continue to give back to this sport and celebrate what has given me so much. Thanks to all of my sponsors that have helped me travel the world and supported my dream. And lastly, thanks to my dad for bringing the sport into my life at four years old and for being the best father and mentor that a son could ask for. Thanks to my mom for always being there and picking me up when I'm down and to my brother for being the best sidekick. Thank you. What's it like to hear that back? Um, definitely emotional. I mean, I haven't really read that since I kind of, since, I mean, I, I read it after I wrote it and just kind of made sure that didn't need any corrections, but haven't really read it since then. Um, but yeah, just to think about all the people, you know, that, that were beside me in this journey, um, was what stood out there when you read it for me. Um, because I, I couldn't have gotten luckier to find specific people in my life. I mean, I think, I think back at, you know, that, you know, when I, when I wrote that, and even now I think back at probably the biggest angel I think I ever had in my career was a guy when I was 
12 years old, I went to play the Fiesta Bowl in Phoenix, Arizona, which started on December 26th. It was a national tennis tournament. And again, it's the day after Christmas. And my dad told me in like early November, he's like, hey, we're going to go play this tournament in Phoenix. And I'm like, when is it? And he's like, December 26th. I'm like, no, 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 I don't I don't want to miss Christmas at home. You know, I'm 12 years old. And I'm like, I don't yeah. And he, and he said, no, 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 we, we're going to go. And and so in juniors, my dad and I, we would drive everywhere, as you, you remember. But we drive yeah. from Oklahoma to Miami, Oklahoma to Phoenix, Oklahoma to L.A., like 20-hour <laughs> drives, whatever it was, in a minivan. I slept in the back seat, and my dad would just drive along and wouldn't even <laughs> stop. He would just keep going. And uh, so anyways, I, I didn't want to go, but we ended up going on December 22nd, drove all the way to Phoenix. And so I played this tournament. And so I'm in the quarterfinals on December 28th and uh, playing against a guy, Dante Haynes from California. And so when I was playing Dante, we're on this little backcourt in the quarterfinals of a national tournament. Literally my dad watching his dad. And there was one guy behind the fence watching and he was there the whole time. We played six, four in the third, three and a half hours battle, you know, and then I lost. And so I come up the court and I'm in about to cry and da 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 and and so this guy Dennis walks up and he said, "Hey man, I really enjoyed watching you play. Um, you know, I you got a lot of game da da da." I'm like, "Oh, thank you." But meanwhile, like I'm just I'm crying now. And my dad walks up and 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 Dennis goes, "You know, I I really like to invite you guys over for dinner tonight." And I'm thinking like, we've never we don't know this guy at all. Never seen him before. Never what? And he's literally watching behind the fence for three and a half hours. Didn't move his same spot. So. For some reason, my dad said, like, oh, yeah, sure, let's do it. I'm like, <laughs> what? Uh, we don't even, who, we don't know this guy. So anyways, an hour and a half later, we end up going to this guy's house. And he starts talking about how, you know, yeah, like, I really love tennis. I used to help sponsor a player and whatnot. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm 12. I don't, I don't know. So we stay there for a couple of hours. And then long story short, he kind of started following my junior career. Like he showed up at the finals of Easter bowl when I was in the finals there and beat Trace Davis in the final to be the number one player in the country. And then he came to a couple other junior tournaments and I was thinking, wow, this is kind of cool, but you know, he never called, he would just show up, you know? And, and then he asked me at, after I was getting ready to um, graduate from high school, he called me, he had my number for my dad and he's like, Hey, uh, you're going to college, right? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, if you graduate on time, I'll see what I can do. And so I, I'm like, I don't know what that really means, you know? So sure enough, I, I go to my last semester of college and then he calls me, he said, Hey, are you going to graduate on time? And I was like, uh, and I was taking like 12 hours each semester. So I was a little bit behind. And so I was like, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I will. And he's like, okay. And so I literally filled up my last semester, 17 hours, made sure I finished on time. And then, uh, once I did that, he, this guy sponsored me for seven years on the tour. Wow. Full sponsorship, didn't want any money back. I didn't have to pay a dime to him. Basically, sponsored me for about a hundred grand a year. Um, didn't wow. didn't have to pay him anything. And and it was one of those things where he I call him an angel to this day because without him as a sponsorship, I don't know. I mean, we I would have gone out there and tried to play, but I didn't have any help, yeah. you know. And, and you know how expensive it is to to play, so right? Expensive. So, so just thinking back to 12 year old, not wanting to go to Phoenix, we end up going and this guy watches behind the fence and asks us at dinner and somehow we do it. And, you know, and I literally call him my angel because he was just there every step of the way, kind of, you know, popping in and out through the junior tournaments, but then saying, you know what, I'm going to help you pursue this career. And he said, look, I don't, 
I don't want anything in return. I just want to see you work hard and, and, uh, and hopefully one day you'll hold up an ATP trophy. And, and so then I was able to do that four times in doubles. And, and then, uh, actually for three of the years, he paid for my dad to come with me on the tour. So we, so i I was fortunate enough to have an unreal start or, you know, to a professional career and not have, and being able to just focus on tennis, not having to worry about finances and whatnot. Yeah. So, we still email every week to this day. And, and, um, you know, he, I, you know, was very fortunate to have him. So when I write that post and think about all the people who are involved, he's, you know, after my dad, I mean, he's number, number one or number two, you know, cause without, yeah. without my dad starting me at four and without this guy, I mean, I wouldn't have been where I was, you know? And so, um, so that, that, that's emotional. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, you know, there's so many people obviously in your life that help you to get to where you need to be. My goodness, what a blessing. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, my questions, I don't want to go too off track because I know we have a limited amount of time, but my yeah. mind immediately is like, well, what is what does he do for a living? Is he Bill Gates? Like he must <laughs> yeah. have an unless, but I'm not going to go off track yeah. because yeah. I, I want to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but either way, I mean, I think that, you know, your post and then when we reflect back on our careers, it is this weird individual sport where you're just like, it can feel so isolating at times. And yet I think along the way I should have done a better job. And I I think I did, but I think it's, it's so important truly to like really recognize like we, you wouldn't have been able to get there without the people around you and also including your dad. And I think that was going to be my next question because you know, when I think about you, I always think about your dad because your dad yeah. was your coach, right? Since yeah. how old? Four years old. Yeah. Okay. So when you started. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I think that tennis is such a unique relationship because it's so intimate and it's so intense and it's not abnormal for, for tennis players to be somehow involved or coached with by you know, um, a family member or a parent or whatever. And so sometimes when a tennis player says goodbye to the sport, in many ways are also saying goodbye to the people that were involved, including their parents or like one aspect of that relationship. So what is that like saying goodbye to tennis and also knowing that that part of your relationship with your dad is also ending? Yeah. I, again, I think when I was playing at the U.S. Open too in that first round, or you know, in the second round, you know, I looked at my dad and saw my college coach and just realized how many hours they put into my career, and and not wanting to, um, not wanting to mess it up. Right? I wanted to, I wanted to perform. I wanted to bring my best. I wanted to show them that everything they did got me there. Right. Um, and so now like, yeah, it, obviously now we're not on the court every day and in, in Austin, Texas, where I live, you know, I would always go back home. We get back on the court for two hours a day and really do that work. Um, but we, you know, we still spend a lot of time together cause I'll still go to the gym now for a couple hours and he'll come with me to the gym, you know? So we still have that, that bond of like, you know, he's still going to come with me and we're going to talk tennis. We're going to talk commentating. We're going to talk different different sports. And, and so we still have that connection. Um, is that something that, that will never leave? Right. I mean, sure. We aren't on the court anymore. And luckily for me, he is in the same city as me. He moved three years ago to Austin. I've been there about 11 mm-hmm. years. So we still have that connection of, of, I mean, he's my dad, but you know, it was always, it was always father, son and coach player. Um, and now I, you know, it's father, son and coach X player and, and, and other things, but we, you know, we still have a lot obviously in common and to talk about and. So, um, you know, but it's funny, like when you, when you're retiring, 
I was getting messages on Instagram, like, Oh, it's, it's been nice to know you and things like that. And it's like, I'm, I'm not dying. Like I'm not, I'm still going to be around, you know? So it was interesting to get some of those comments from people. Like you were always an inspiration. It was nice to know you da da da. And I'm like, what, what does that mean? You know, like, I'm still going to be here. I'm so, you know, and I'll still now be on tour going into coaching, but um, but as far as with my dad, I mean, we, we still have a lot, um, that we do together and, and obviously he's helping a lot with the tournament coming up. So, so there's a, there's a lot that's happening as a family still. So it's also recognizing that you still get to be father and, and son. I, I yeah. think when I, you know, <laughs> yeah. when I was thinking about your, um, for whatever reason, Mike Golick Jr. came to mind. Uh, he's obviously, you know, former Notre Dame and NFL player. And his dad also was a big time NFL player, too. And when I had Golick Jr. on the show, I replayed a moment where they were saying goodbye um, to Mike and Mike and also to to Golick Sr. And he started crying. Mikey started crying. But he was like, the good news is, is like, everybody has to say goodbye to you, but we don't have to because mm-hmm. you're always going to be there as our father. And when yeah. you were kind of talking about that, that reminded me of your and your uh, your relationship with your dad but also i want to go back to the the experience of getting those messages as mm-hmm. if it was like a funeral because yeah. this is really important I, I think i've heard bits and pieces of that but then when you described it, i i've never really heard anybody really talk about it like that so what 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 were the messages and and why did it make or why did it sound or, or feel like a funeral? Yeah, I mean, dying? I think, I, I think um, you know, it's interesting because you get two different types of messages. Like, you know, it, it, it's been an unbelievable career. Like your next chapter is going to be awesome. Can't wait to support you through it. But then also you get like the messages of it's been nice to know you. And, and then just the wording of things. Yeah. People are like, oh, because I'm not going to be on the tennis court, then I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I don't then like, they'll never see me again, or, you know, who knows what I'm doing, but it's been nice to know you, you know, like, like I'm completely disappearing somewhere just because I'm not an athlete, like a professional uh, current athlete, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, um, so yeah, it was interesting getting some of those messages from certain people was like, wait a second, we can still be friends or, you know, we can still hang out. We can still, because I'm not a fresh, like current professional athlete, you know, we, we still have things in common. So, um, but again, getting those messages and whatnot, I, I mean, look, we, as athletes, we get messages all the time when you lose a match and they're calling you names and, you know, so you get all kinds of different messages on Instagram, especially. And, and, uh, but you know, you have to obviously stay true to yourself, stay true to what you, what your plan is and your goals in life. And, and obviously for me, it was like, okay, we're giving everything we have to this U S open and I'm not worried too, too worried about those messages. But then when I did get on the court for that first round, you know, different things crept in, but then I was like, okay, we got to refocus. So it took me mm-hmm. those four games to, to refocus, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, everyone's going to have an opinion and you have to try to block it out as, as much as you can. I think I asked about that because, you know, I, it was less about like how you were responding or how you are processing it. But for me, in the research that I'm doing right now and going through the PhD program and all this other stuff, much of my focus is about how society and our sports assess society and also the personnel, the coaches, administrators, governing sports bodies and all this stuff play into this picture 
and and fuel this dynamic of how athletes not only experience sport, but also how they leave sport. And so what you were just talking about, there is this like that brief or that frequent interaction on social media, even though fans aren't doing it in a way that with with any sort of like yeah. malintent, yeah. but yeah. it is kind of sending the message of like, oh, since you're no longer going to be a professional athlete, like peace, you're yeah. now dying. Yeah, because, yeah. And also that's like the kind of almost like sending this implicit message of like, you are no longer going to exist in my world because yeah, you're yeah. no longer a professional athlete, which also implies that yeah. like being a professional athlete is somehow more important than just being a normal right. human being. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm dissecting this and taking it in all different directions, yeah. but I'm not going to let this go because like this, this kind of stuff, I want to highlight that because that's, that's what makes it hard for athletes yeah. to walk away from the game. Cause it yeah. sends that message of like, Oh, I'm now, I'm just not going to be anybody because yeah, now yeah, I'm not yeah. a professional athlete, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's, People think, oh, you're quitting. It was nice to know you, da da da. And you're like, no, 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 you know. And then they want to go. They'll go follow another. You know, maybe there was a follower of mine or whatever. Now they'll go just go follow someone else. You know, and <laughs> don't care about the rest of your. Won't care about the rest of my life or whatever. Um, so yeah, so it, it's interesting. It's very interesting. Um, you know, but again, that, that's why you just have to stay focused and and what you're doing day in and day yeah. out, and and stick to your routine, stick to your your goals. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, uh, before we kind of shift into what's moving forward for you, but just like reflecting on, you know, just our conversation in the past 30, 40 minutes, what, what is it, what does it feel like to, to really like process this and, and talk about your retirement and, um, and just talk about like the things that were coming up for you? What is it? Yeah. I, I think, um, more than anything, I mean, even yesterday, like I was out on the court hitting with a guy for two hours. He's just starting his professional career. And so I'm helping him out. He drove from San Diego three hours to LA to to hit. And I've known him since he was 10 years old. Now he's 21. So he's going to a future in Harlingen. I set him up with my housing that I had in Harlingen, Texas. And, you know, so I think for me, it's more exciting right now. You know, I, 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 I like, I loved hitting with him and helping him and helping him grow. And, and I feel like I have a lot to give, um, to, to athletes, tennis players. And, um, and so I'm just excited. Like I'm excited to keep pursuing the craft of the commentating, keep pursuing the craft of developing players. Um, and then also with my tournament coming up in November, just everything is about giving back to hmm. what I started at four years old. Right. So, um, so it's not really like sad and, and, and I don't really, I mean, I think the first week or two, I was like, wow, this is weird. Like not waking up at eight or whatever to go practice, you know, now I wake up and I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm like, okay, but okay. Now I'm going to wake up and go to the gym for an hour and a half and I'm still getting my work in. Um, and then I have all these other things that I have to do. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so there's not, there's no real sadness. Um, it's just more exciting excitement for me. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it sounds like it's not necessarily sadness. There might be certainly some moments of emotional aspect yeah. because there's that depth or whatever, but there's also yeah. excitement because you have a lot of other things yeah. going on. So yeah. what is, what would you, how would you define your North star? Cause I know, you know, I know you got your tournament coming up. You, you have your analyst work with tennis channel. You all, you're also coaching. It sounds like, or at least on the cusp of maybe a beginning relationship. So, so what is your North star in terms of like, what's propelling you forward? Um, I mean, look, I, I, so I have a tournament coming up in November called the all American cup, uh, November 11th through the 13th. So this was, 
an idea I came up with during COVID sitting on the couch in 2020, um, in April. And I was literally, we weren't playing any tournaments as players. And so I was trying to think of God, what, how can we play? Like, you know, we had no, we had no direction. Like we didn't know when we were going to play again. You know, everyone's talking about now we got to wear masks and it's like, what, what's going on? So anyways, I started just looking at American players, what guys were ranked. Should we do a tournament where it's kind of like the older guys against the younger guys. And then I started looking at where guys were born. Long story short, at that time, 16 guys were in the top 100, eight were born on the West Coast, eight were born on the East Coast. And I was like, uh. wow, we could have a little all-star game, which obviously there's the NBA all-star MLB, but we don't have that for tennis. Um, so then I was like, man. So I got on the phone right away, called my business partner in the tournament now, Chadwick Bird. He owns Tennis Ventures, which is an all-inclusive tennis vacation company. And I said, look, man, I got this idea. Like, what do you think? And, and uh, so, yeah. So now to see it all kind of come to fruition has been awesome. So basically... On the east, on the west coast, we've got Taylor Fritz, Marco Chiron, Mackie McDonald, Steve Johnson, and Jensen Brooksby on the west coast team. Mm -hmm. On the east, we've got Isner, Tiafo, Sock, Wolf, and Kudla on that team. And so those are the five guys on each team. We also have Sam Query on the west coming in as well. Um, you know, and and you know, but there's other guys too, right? So those are the guys that are committed who are playing this year. And we have Bob and Mike Bryan as the team captains. Bob lives in Florida. Mike lives in California. So this is the first time That's they're right. actually going to go, the first time they're actually going to go against each other in anything. And they're two of the most competitive guys I think you'll ever meet. I mean, I've practiced with them before where obviously they were on the same side of the net and like Mike would miss a volley and Bob would literally hit him in the back with a tennis ball. Like, <laughs> like I mean, like, and it, this was at the French open literally like three days before the first round, we still had plenty of time, but like Mike missed a volley on top of the net and Bob literally fired a ball into his back and Mike's like, Oh, and then they kind of give each other a look and they're like, ah, and then like, then they get back to work, you know, like, but they're two of the most competitive people ever. So they're already just so pumped. And, you know, my, Bob was one of the first calls I made. And he was like, look, man, I talked to him for a minute and he's like, let me call Mike. I'll call you back. And literally a minute later, he's like, we're all in. He's like, let's make, this awesome. a, staple. Let's make this a staple for American tennis, um, yeah. you know, at the end of the year, every year. And, and, uh, you know, so I just mentioned the guys that are playing, but also on the West Coast, you have Brandon Nakashima, you have uh, Maxime Cressy, guys like that. Nakashima can't play to the next gen final. Maxime Cressy is going to be training already for the new year. On the East Coast, you still have a Riley Opelka who's not playing because of his hip. He says he has yeah. hip surgery. You have Tommy Paul, who's going to take a week off before Davis Cup. You also have Sebastian Corda. So you have eight, nine guys on each side. So plenty of guys to make a team of, of five, um, every single year. And, uh, you know, so that's, what's, that's, what's exciting for me is just in my mind, this is, um, you know, giving back to American tennis, put some money in yeah. these guys' pockets and hopefully inspire the younger generation to want to come out and watch these top Americans that are, that are obviously playing amazing tennis right now. I mean, Taylor Fritz at seven in the world and Francis at 17 and, um, Tommy, I think in the like 28, 29 and Riley, obviously uh, Riley Corda, all these guys doing their thing, you know? So it's like, uh, for me, this is really something I'm excited about wanting to get back. I think the players are excited because also, you know, in tennis, we're always traveling alone, you know? And so there's yeah. not a lot of team events. There's Davis cup and labor cup in college tennis, but not everyone gets to do those things. Like not, a, not a, most of these guys didn't play college tennis. Right. And most yeah. of these, a lot of these guys haven't been on the Davis cup team yet or labor cup. So now it's an ability to be on a team, have some fun, especially the end of the year. Um, you know, so, so I think the guys, you know, I get messages from them constantly. They're super pumped to, 
to, to do it. Um, you know, and so, yeah, that, that's what, that's what drives me. And then also, so that's 11th through the 13th and then leading into kind of early December, I'll start coaching Jack sock and trying to help him get back to his, uh, his top awesome. 10 ways. And, uh, we've known each other for, Oh, since he was 17, 18. So over 10 years. And, um, so that, that's exciting. Um, and then, yeah, just continue to keep perfecting the craft of, of commentating and whatnot with tennis channel. And then, you know, doing some of the things Australian open with channel seven and BBC at Wimbledon. So it's fun. It's fun. But the main thing now is one month away from the all American cup and making sure that it's, you know, as a player, I've been to so many tournaments around the world. So just wanting to bring everything that I've seen at all these other tournaments and make it interactive for the fans, have the players meet a lot of the fans. Um, and just, you know, we have VIP tables sitting right next to the court. So basically almost where you can like touch the guys, uh, so make it, make it very, very interactive, you know, and, and, uh, and, and so they can feel the energy of the players. And, uh, so I'm excited. I, I want it to be, I want it to be a lot of fun. I want it to be the best thing that, that, uh, that fans enjoy and the American players, I want them to really like, be like, man, that was sick. So, um, that's, that's the goal. That's so awesome. Uh, I can see how excited you are just about all these different things and you get super pumped about this tournament. The idea, the concept of it is just like, not only is it completely just rad but it is so representative of your personality because i think like you know you're a doubles player and you were so good in college too you love you thrive on that like community and that competitive aspect but within a team environment so i think it's not surprising that you actually came up with this idea because it's so it it really is just kind of like an extension of your personality and your tennis personality yeah and that's that's, it's like your little tennis baby now (laughs) i know right i know i was (laughs) But also, I mean, the, all these guys have such big personalities, like Francis Tiafo, He lights up a room every time he walks in. And, you know, he has been obviously on the Davis Cup and he's on the Labor Cup. And you get to see how much he loves that team stuff. So, um, you know, a guy like Jensen Brooksby has never been on a team. Like he he was like, oh, man, like oh. we're going to do a team event. Like this is going to be awesome. Like so just to, see his eyes, just to see his eyes light up, like made me even more pumped. I'm like, yeah, man, like let's freaking do this, you know. And, and uh, so... Yeah. So, you know, again, it's just trying to bring people together, inspire younger generations, have fans come out and really enjoy it. So, you know, so much, so much to, to be pumped about with it. That's awesome. Let me know. uh, Let me know if there's anything I, we can do to help promote it and give it a shout out or even just get involved or whatnot. And also congratulations on the coaching gig with, with Jack sock. I didn't know about that. That's super (laughs) awesome. And, you know, I know, I know you, you're, you're a busy guy and you've got to go, but before we move on, I admittedly, I don't know if I would have been able to like ask the questions that I had asked today, but because I've known you for a really long time, (laughs) I feel like I can push you a little bit harder. It gives me permission. Yeah. But what I wanted to do was really stretch out the experience because I think for a lot of athletes, we don't really give ourselves the time to just reflect and process. Like you deserve that moment of like just talking rather than giving yourself an hour at Arthur Ashe, how long you've been playing tennis for 30 plus years. Like you deserve, even if it's an extra 45 minutes, just to talk about what you're feeling and what's emerging because you've had like, you know, you, you played, you've had just a wonderful career, you know? And, and so when I say that, 
you know, kind of like giving yourself space to just be and reflect and it's okay. And, and emotions and feelings like at, even as you move forward, giving yourself permission and knowing that things may come up that you weren't expecting because you are now a retired athlete. Like, you know, when I say all of that, what does it sound like or what does it feel like? Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think it's, as you said, just taking moments to reflect is always key. Um, you know, but again, it's, it's, yeah. Understanding that it took like a, a jungle and a family to get to, to where, to where I was and, 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 and really understand that and, and, and let all those people know how important they were to your life or are to your life. I mean, and, and that's what I still do, you know, even with Dennis, who was behind the fence and with my dad and my college coach, who I talk to every two or three days and, you know, still keeping that, that family, um, because, you know, you, you'd, you aren't dying. You, you're just moving on to, mm -hmm. to something, um, something new, something that, that you can put all, all again, like I talked about how it wasn't the most, um, um, talented guy, but I'd like to work. So now putting all that work into other things. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, being able to reflect and hearing my, hearing my, uh, my note back on Instagram, I was like, wow, fuck, I haven't, haven't uh, heard that in, in, in a while or even looked at it again, you know? Um, so that was definitely emotional in a way. You almost got me crying there. Um, <laughs> I, no, I got you. I saw your tears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. you know, if it helps like other athletes yeah. also respond in that same way when I did that yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Again, again, it's, it's uh, yeah. Just reflecting is always as an athlete, you need to do that. So I appreciate it. That's awesome. Good. Well, I mean, thank you so much for coming on. It's so much fun to connect. I feel like we could keep talking for hours, but you are certainly going to continue being a part of my life. In fact, before this interview, we were talking about something else. So hopefully we're going to keep on collaborating and, and, you know, continuing the conversation and everything. Yeah. But, you know, Nick, I, I think that you've had such an amazing career. You should be so proud of yourself. I know I'm proud of you. And it's been such an honor to watch you, you know, do so well over the years and tell your family, including your dad, I say <laughs> hi I and um, best of luck to you. Yeah. Thanks, Brent. Thanks for having me. And uh, we'll definitely be seeing each other soon. So thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. For more episodes, you can visit our homepage on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And to watch the full version of these interviews, you can head on over to YouTube and just search for the next chapter with Prim Saripapet. Also, don't forget, subscribe to us, like us, give us a star rating. We really appreciate you listening and also showing your support. The next chapter with the Prim Saripapet is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.